to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com, where we like to talk about how to make marriage a passionate adventure and get rid of all the lousy teaching that has really messed marriage up. I am here with my daughter and co-author, Rebecca Lindenbach. Hello. And we are going to tackle a new teaching that is far too prominent in the evangelical church and try to debunk it. We are in the middle of a series, the debunking series, which is all getting ready for the launch of our new book, The Great Sex Rescue, on March 2nd, which we're so excited about. Yeah, it's going to be great. We surveyed 20,000 women last year. So it's the largest survey that has ever been done of Christian women asking them everything about their sexual and marital satisfaction. And we identified several key evangelical teachings which cause orgasm rates to plummet. Yep. Sexual pain rates to skyrocket. And marital satisfaction to plummet. And you know, most people want to have happy marriages. Most people want the exact opposite of what many of these teachings are offering. We'll put it that way. Most people want higher orgasm rates, lower sexual pain (laughs) rates, and higher marital satisfaction. So let's get rid of some of these teachings that hold us back. Because even though we're calling them evangelical teachings, we don't mean that they're Christian or biblical. No, and they have that label a lot of the times, but mm-hmm. when you actually look at what the fruit is mm-hmm. in the real world, it looks nothing like how Christ would treat people. Exactly. If you are watching this on YouTube, hello, Hi. you can probably see that our background looks messier than usual. That's because we've been filming all week for our free group study that's going to go along with the Great Sex Rescue, which we hope will be launching the beginning of March as well, so that mm-hmm. you can read the book with friends, try to debunk all of the teachings that you've grown up with, and just have a trip down memory lane and see how things might have gotten messed up in your own life. So last week... We looked at the message that all men struggle with lust. It's every man's battle and how much that hurts people. And this week we want to tackle, ladies, if you would just have sex more, then he wouldn't watch porn. Yep, exactly. You put out and then he won't have to log on. There you go. Don't y'all just need to understand that message, which is empowering. And I don't know about you, but that makes most women just want to jump in bed. Oh yeah, that's really a libido booster. If you really want to get a woman to want to have sex with you, threaten that you'll watch other naked ladies if she doesn't. Oh yes, that's going to get her juices flowing. Exactly. All right, so one of the most famous quotes that we've been talking about quite a bit on Twitter and other places is from Mm -hmm. the book Every Man's Battle. Yes. And Every Man's Battle says, your wife can be a methadone-like fix when your temperature is rising. And then directed to women, they say this, once he tells you he's going cold turkey, be like a merciful vial of methadone for him. So, so picture, this is actually what they're saying. What they're saying is when your husband comes to you and says, I've been watching porn and I've been lusting and I've been really struggling with sexual sin and staying faithful sexually to you. So I'm going to need you to have more sex with me now. Mm-hmm. Like, Yes, because so what backwards. I, and, and let's think about what methadone says. Methadone yep. says that what I really want is this thing. Yeah. That's what really, What I really want is the hard drugs. Yes. But I'm going to settle for you. The cheap substitute. So that you can satiate me so that I don't go trolling for the hard stuff. For what I really want. Right. So I will settle for you. Mm-hmm. You are the lesser of what I want, but you're the one that I'm allowed to have. So I'm just going to shove my face full of you so I don't go to the buffet table that I actually want to go to. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Again, boy, that's going to make her want to... Yeah, just make her think that she's your bones. beloved. Yes. So this is a problem, people. And and we really need to stop talking about it. So in our new research segment, we're going to do our research segment first. Yay. We're going to tell you what... Just a few, just a very few quick snapshot of some of the stats that we found in our survey related to this teaching. We already looked at how the all men lust message really affects women and and it lowers orgasm rates. It causes women to be far less likely to be aroused when they make love. Mm -hmm. It makes women have sex far more frequently just because they have to, not because they want to, all those sorts of things. So here's specifically what the porn message does. If you agree before you're married, before you're married, before you're married, that women should have frequent sex with their husbands to keep them from watching porn. So you grew up in church and you were taught this. Maybe you're told it in your premarital counseling. Yeah. Your job as a wife is to have sex so that he doesn't watch porn. You are 88% more likely to say that you're often afraid that your husband will look at pornography or other women. And if you agree with it currently, you are 65% more likely to be afraid that your husband will watch porn. And then there's this. If you agree before marriage, then you're 31% more likely to say that you feel uncomfortable about how your husband looks at other women while we are in public. Exactly. And remember, these are people who believed it before they were married. Mm -hmm. And this pretty much held up even when we controlled for if a husband actually used porn or not. Yeah, because we asked, well, what if they're more afraid simply because their husbands actually do watch porn? Then yeah. it would make sense for them to be afraid. Exactly. So we took out the women who thought their husbands actually were watching porn. And we checked in. And this effect was still there. Yeah. They're still more likely to be afraid of this stuff. Which means that this message is ruining a lot of marriages where there isn't even a sexual sin issue. Mm -hmm. So because we're telling this to couples, women are hearing it before they're even married, before their husband has even had a chance to prove himself, he's already failed. Yeah. Here's another one. Women, if they believe this stuff before they're married, are 54% less likely to be confident that their husband is not tempted by other women. And you know what that means? It does mean that there were a lot of women on our survey who were confident that their husband was not tempted by other women, Mm -hmm. who were not uncomfortable with how their husbands look at other women while they're in public, Mm -hmm. who are not afraid that their husband will look at pornography or other women. Mm -hmm. Like, there are a lot of yeah, women and who can trust lot. their husbands. There were a lot of women in very happy marriages in our survey mm-hmm. where they had trust, they knew they were faithful, they could you know, go out and not be uncomfortable. But if you heard this teaching, even before you were married, you mm-hmm. were much less likely to be in that group. And that's what's problematic is we don't want to set up couples for failure before their spouse has even given them a chance. Like, yeah. it's just rough. Yeah. And then... What about your motivations for having sex? If you agree that you must give your husband sex to keep him from watching porn, you're 37% more likely to engage with sex only because you feel that you have to. Mm-hmm. So you're far less likely to have sex just because you, you want like to, sex. you like it, it makes you feel close to him, any of that. No, you're way more likely to say you do it only because you have to. And you're 24% less likely to be aroused during sexual activity. So you're more likely to have sex, which is really unsatisfying. You're more likely to have sex out of fear and obligation, and you're less likely to enjoy it, mm-hmm. which should be no surprise. Mm-hmm. We have so many more stats just like that in The yeah. Great Sex Rescue. It honestly is an amazing book. I love a lot of books that I've written, but this one is something special because this one I think has the capacity to change how the evangelical world talks about sex in a much better way because we've got so much data and we quote from so many different books showing how these books perpetuated really negative things. So let, we, what we want to do today is not talk about 
the effects of porn on marriage so much because quite frankly we've done that in a lot of other podcasts Mm -hmm. Um, and so in the podcast description I will link to the whole porn series that we did last April we did a lot of podcasts on porn then we talked about how using porn when you're a teenager affects your marriage now just a lot of really great content then and we don't want to repeat all of that so we are going to put links in the podcast post that goes along with this the podcast description so that you can find those series but what we do want to talk about is how the evangelical world has been talking about porn in such a bad way. So let me tell you a story that came in from a reader, which is something that actually got us started on this project. A woman wrote to me and said she and her husband had been struggling with his porn habit for years and they had sought counseling. He was in a recovery group and he was actually doing really well after a lot of back and forth, a lot of relapses. He was in a good place. And she had been really struggling with her own, you know, self-esteem. She'd been counseling herself. And she's in her minivan. She's driving around doing errands one day. And a focus on the family program comes on. And one of the hosts says that maybe the reason that men are watching porn is because women aren't giving them enough sex. Yeah. And she pulled her van over to the side of the road and just burst out crying. Because here she was. And she'd been trying to get better self-esteem. She'd been trying to not blame herself. She'd been trying to see her husband with different eyes. And here was this voice from Focus on the Family telling her it probably was your fault. If you had just done this better, Mm -hmm. he wouldn't have done this. And that's just not right. It's just not. It's not right. And it's not even accurate. No. And that's why we need to not only talk about doctrine, but we need to talk about effects. Yes. Right? Because doctrine is all theoretical. Doctrine is opinions. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like there are, like there, it's important to know what you believe with doctrine. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about these kinds of things in solely a doctrinal way, like when we just talk about what do we believe about this? What yeah. do we think the Bible says? Like that's very important. Yeah. But we need to measure it against the effects. Mm-hmm. Because in real life, it is not theoretical. Mm-hmm. For the woman who's driving in her van, who had just finally felt some freedom and then had it ripped away from her because of focus on the family, just blabbing nonsense that is not at all backed up by research Mm -hmm. that chained her back again in that bondage she was trying so hard to leave. Mm -hmm. That's why it's not enough to just simply say, we'll agree to disagree because we need to look at the impact. And remember too, we're not saying doctrine doesn't matter. No. But remember this, Jesus so adamantly said Mm -hmm. that a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And he said, you will know them by their love. You will know them by your fruits. He said these sorts of things again and again and again, that we're supposed to judge things by their fruit. And to me, what that means is that if you have a marriage teaching that you have been giving repeatedly, and then you find out that that marriage teaching has really hurt people. And it's consistently hurt people in the same ways. Yes. Then it's time for you to ask yourself, Am I interpreting something wrong? Because when we follow Jesus, we don't end up with bad fruit. We shouldn't hurt people by telling people about Jesus. Right. Telling people about Jesus, making Jesus real in people's lives, telling people the freedom message that comes from the cross does not result in more hurt. Mm -hmm. And so if the teachings that we are giving about marriage result in more hurt, that is time for us to go back to the Bible and take a look at whether or not what we're teaching is true. And so we want to we share with you in this podcast some of the teachings yeah. that are very prevalent in our resources that we don't believe are true. Mm-hmm. So let's start with one of the 
least offensive ones. Yes. From sheet music. <laughs> okay, here we go. We got all the books here, too. Yes. So that if you're on YouTube, you can tell that we honestly do actually have these, these quotes are from these books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not making these up. These actually exist. So sheet music opens with the story of Brenda and Mark. And it explains how Brenda and Mark have been pulling apart. You know, they've got little kids. They used to be really hot for each other. But Mark is just feeling really lonely in the marriage. And he he longed for Brenda to be the eager woman that she used to be, who was willing to cut classes to fool around for a bit. But every time he tried to proposition her, she would say things like, Mark, it's five o'clock. I can't get a babysitter this late. What are you thinking? You never give me any notice. And so he felt like she was just always rebuffing his advances because he's like, we'll just get a babysitter. And she's like, it's five o'clock. I can't. Yeah. What a terrible woman. Yeah. It's like, hey, maybe you give me more than 20 minutes notice. And he was saying, how long has it been since he and Brenda had had any fun? He remembered the days they couldn't keep their hands off each other. And now they were like two roommates. Ever since the kids arrived, they seemed boxed into that house. He yearned for the days when he and Brenda could make the world disappear for a few hours as they got lost in each other's embrace. So he explains all these ways that Mark feels alone. And Mark is so sad. Brenda also didn't understand that Mark masturbated two or three times a week. And every time he did so, he felt his desire for Brenda as a person decline just a little bit more. He was tired of being reluctantly accommodated and never pursued. Mark didn't pressure her for sex anymore. She was too tired to even think about it. It never occurred to her that Mark was taking matters into his own hands and was adept enough at hiding the pornography on the computer that she never found it. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's the situation. They have little kids. She is really busy looking after the little kids. He keeps saying to her, Let's go for a date night. Let's, Let's hire fool a around. It doesn't say anywhere here that he says, can I help you with the kids? Yeah, like, hey, honey, let's have a nice romantic night tonight. What if I take the kids for the next two hours and put them to bed so you can go have a bubble bath and go get yourself some Starbucks and relax? Right. It doesn't say anything about him trying to have family time. Nothing about him even having the softest, like the slightest clue about what comes into actually taking care of young children. Because I'm sorry, anyone who knows about taking care of young children, plural, knows you can't get a babysitter at five o'clock on a Tuesday last minute. And so he's portraying Mark as being in this terrible state. Poor Mark. Mark. But it never actually says that he actually likes his children. Well, and it also, the big thing too is it never says anything from Brenda's perspective. Right. And so then after telling this whole story about how Mark was very adept at hiding the protocol, here is the conclusion. Here is how you fix it. This is what he said. What Brenda didn't realize was how much this sexual winter was costing them as a couple and how if they didn't turn things around, they'd probably be divorced within another five years. Brenda became more and more focused on her kids, trying to meet her emotional emptiness through her children's affection. And Mark became more interested in work and his computer at home. He literally says the man is masturbating two to three times a week and he doesn't care about his wife as a person, a little bit less every time he masturbates. Right. And it's like, oh, but silly Brenda's getting her emotional connection so, through her kids. So the problem, and he never said what Mark failed to realize. He no, only said never. what Brenda failed to realize. He never said what Mark failed to realize was that in a relationship, in a family, you all need to give and take. Mm-hmm. You all need to be a team. And if he had taken some time to actually meet Brenda's needs mm-hmm. for maybe some autonomy, maybe to feel like a woman again. I'm sorry, being a mom to young kids, you're mm-hmm. busy. Mark needs to realize nothing. Brenda just needs to put out more and somehow mix that into her schedule of taking care of the kids. Because again, Mark doesn't need to learn how to take care of his own kids. Right. And then later in the book, he talks more about 
this problem that many men have with pornography and how wives can help them out. He says, a wife who is in tune with her husband's needs and desires can really help him live a holy life. While writing this book, I talked to one couple in which the husband had struggled for many years with an addiction to pornography. The most difficult time for this man was during his wife's period because she was unavailable to him sexually. After about 10 years, she finally realized that pleasing her husband with oral sex or a simple hand job did wonders to help her husband through that difficult time. She realized that faithfulness is a two-person job. No. So the message here again is, ladies, give him oral sex and a hand job because your period is a really difficult time for him. Yes. Your period, when you are cramping, is a difficult time for him. We've talked yeah. about this on other podcasts. Yeah. But, but it's just so dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. That's the problem is it's dehumanizing to tell a woman that she needs to perform sexual favors when she's not receiving any, mm-hmm. first of all, mm-hmm. but also on a time where she's not feeling great a lot of women a lot of women like period sex go for it if you like it but there's a lot of women who don't Mm -hmm. and if your husband can't go five days or seven days without sex because of Mm -hmm. your period your husband needs to see a sex addiction counselor he does not need you to put out more and if he asks you to that is wrong and coercive yeah and all of this is portraying sex as again about the husband's physical release it's portraying sex is only about his ejaculation and also it's treating sex as something that he understands because he gets it he gets Mm -hmm. that this is a need she's the silly woman who doesn't get it if she could just understand from the man's point of view they wouldn't even have this problem but that's just how women are they just don't get it so we need to teach them yeah and that's really the attitude that is in so many of the books that we looked at uh if you pre-order the great sex rescue by the way we have some pre-order bonuses which are really cool and one of them is a scorecard Mm -hmm. of healthy sexual teachings so we created a rubric of 12 healthy sexual teachings and then we measured our evangelical bestsellers against that rubric so if you pre-order now before march 2nd so just pre-order right now baker books actually has it on for just ten dollars so you can get this book really inexpensively we have the link to to all the places you can pre-order including baker books in the podcast description that goes along with this and then if you email your receipt to us the link is also on that same page where you can where we've got all the links to pre-order you will get some pre-order bonuses including the scorecard and the rubric and you can get invited to our exclusive facebook group where we will be talking about this podcast on friday yeah and every week until our Mm -hmm. book is released we're going to be kind of discussing the the teachings that we talked about in the podcast in more detail and answering your specific questions Mm -hmm. so if you have a question that you want answered pre-order the book join the launch team and we'll see it and we'll answer it on facebook live yeah one of the really difficult things about this teaching that you just have to have sex so he won't watch porn is that it neglects the idea that sex is a deep knowing yeah it takes intimacy completely out of sex because if you have sex simply so that he doesn't sin then sex is not about saying i want to know you better i want to feel connected sex is simply only about one person getting their needs met it's really empty so we have that sheet music that was that was the the G-rated version of this teaching. That wasn't actually that bad. As bad as you thought that was, that was the milder form of it. Mm -hmm. We actually had several anecdotes and quotes from books in the original manuscript for The Great Sex Rescue, which our publisher said we couldn't even put in because they were too horrific. Again, these are books that are published. 
And so we would, have a publisher. Every Look, it's a book. Every Heart Restored is a companion book to Every Man's Battle. It is written specifically for a wife's guide to healing in the wake of a husband's sexual sin. So this book is about how wives can heal if their husbands are using pornography. Yeah. And we want to read to you some of the story about what it says. We want to read one example that they give of a woman for whom this kind of didn't work out. Yeah. It worked badly for their marriage. But then the interesting thing is, even though they portray this as a kind of like, oh, this didn't work, their conclusions are just very telling. So yes. let's just read this. So to set the stage, this is a woman whose husband has never had any time for her. She says, I struggle with the fact that my husband had plenty of time for his work, hobbies, and friends, but no time at all for me. I was horribly lonely in my marriage and desperate to try anything. So she read a book that said, if you have sex with your husband, he'll love you more. Right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, actually sounds a lot like love and respect, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's literally what it says. So... She read a book. She said the notion sounded plausible, so she put up for herself a challenge that for a year she would never say no to sex mm-hmm. and she would be available any time that her husband asked for it. So, fast forward, she talks about the effects of that year. Mm-hmm. And before we read this, we should probably put up a trigger warning. <laughs> I think this is why Baker Books didn't want us to put these anecdotes in because they are highly yeah. disturbing. And uh, But again, this is published in an evangelical book, Every Man's Battle, that series has sold, I don't know if it's three or four million copies, but this is our evangelical advice. We just yes. want you to know what's out there and why we need to fight against this. Go ahead. She says, sexually, I felt like nothing more than a whole. I tearfully screamed at God in anger and frustration. If my purpose in this life is to be nothing but an orifice, why didn't you have the compassion to make me a dog instead of a woman so I could be loved and appreciated? I also felt like a human toilet for semen. I apologize if this seems rude and gross, but that's exactly how I felt. You know how most people have to go to the bathroom when they first get up in the morning? Greg felt like he needed sex every morning, and I was the receptacle for his ejaculation. I hated morning sex. Greg was so selfish. My husband habitually took three showers a day to relax. With my busy schedule with the kids, I could only fit in one shower per day, and I liked to relax under the hot water as well, but that rarely happened for me, because turning on the shower was like the bell and Pavlov's dog. Moments after the first droplets hit the floor, my husband came scurrying in with me, salivating for me to soap him up for a hand job. So instead of relaxing, I was even put to demeaning work in the shower. It was about as romantic as milking a cow. I have begged Greg to go to counseling about this with me, but he's refused, partly out of pride. So that's, and there's more to her story. Like that's, that's part of it. And so the, the good thing is they do show this as this is not a, this is not an ideal situation, but listen to the actual response that they have mm-hmm. about this whole thing. And the whole story is put in a chapter that is called the hardwired differences of male sexuality. And so here's what they said when they're analyzing her story later. Take a look inside. Any woman's heart is stirred deeply with sympathy for Mary But what was your reaction to Greg? And I'm paraphrasing so it's shorter. Did you feel any sympathy for him? Sympathy. He perpetrated this mess and acted like a sexual pig. True. But I believe your heart can stretch further now that you've read these chapters on how men are wired. Male sexuality is complex. Greg didn't ask for this hardwiring, and he probably doesn't understand it as well as he should. Yet his sexual makeup contributed to his fall. And look especially at how Mary mislabeled his missteps. This part just makes me cringe. Greg's hardwiring is at work. The orgasmic pleasure chemicals are exhilarating and relaxing. Any normal husband loves how he feels during and after ejaculation. I can understand why, from a female perspective, Greg's unabated enthusiasm for frequent, almost mechanical sex makes him look like a selfish pig. But his behavior must be carefully and correctly labeled. When Mary set up her experiment and started offering sex on demand, it became very predictable that the result would be a year of frequent sex late at night and early in the morning. To put it bluntly, Greg pretty much lived out every married man's dream. 
Granted, the fact that he never questioned why Mary was doing this, and more important, whether this sexual feast was pleasing to her, is reprehensible. Still, to label him ignorant is a much more apt description than heartless. I'm sorry, at what point does a man become heartless and selfish if it's not literally rolling his wife over at five in the morning to have sex with her while she's still half asleep, every time she hops in the shower, jumping in and asking for a hand job instead of giving her even five minutes to herself, never considering her experiences at all. Like, at what point do we cross heartless? Does he have to actually threaten death yeah. before it's heartless? Like, it is not every man's dream marriage to be able to simply use his wife like a sexual receptacle multiple times a day for a year. Yeah, and It that's... is not every man's dream to be able to just get a hand job every time their wife is in a shower because it would make them feel gross if she never had any time to herself. And the, what's weird about this too is that this book is so, like, it, it, it says one thing and then it'll contradict itself in the next yeah. page. So earlier, like a page before, it says this. Your sexuality exists in the relationship for your husband's pleasure, and his sexuality exists in the relationship for yours. Of course, because of male hardwiring, men don't naturally have that Christian view of sex. Which is such a Yeah. So what they thing. say is your husband's sexuality is meant to be for your pleasure in your marriage. But also, it's just how we hardwire to want you to give him a handy every single time you're in the shower. And this is just really problematic because it's missing out on the idea of intimacy. And I can tell you that I know so many men who would be absolutely devastated to have this kind of sex because what they want is real connection and this is not connection. And the fact that these authors think that this is every man's experience fantasy is to have empty ejaculation whenever they want it shows that they have no clue what real biblical sex is. But also it makes you wonder who they're talking to. Cause that's, that's what I always think whenever I read these books is I don't know people mm -hmm. to whom this would uh, apply. When you honestly are able to say without laughing out loud that every man's marriage dream is to have sex mm -hmm. multiple times a day where you're waking, not even waking up, you're just literally rolling over mm -hmm. your asleep wife or jumping in the shower Which every we time. Do, we do need to say that's that is actually rape. a form of marital rape. Like that is rape. Yeah. Like, and, like saying that every man's marriage dream is to simply get as many ejaculations as possible like, who are they talking to? Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. And what's so frustrating about this is that this entire book is set up. It's supposed to be for women whose husbands have, have been involved in sexual sin and to help them accept it mm -hmm. and get over it. And the way that you're supposed to heal from it is simply to understand this is men's hardwiring. Yeah, and to work with their hardwiring. Like, no, this is not no, men's hardwiring. This is not men's hardwiring. This the is idea, not. The idea that because they're men they don't have a christian view of sex just because they're men what a low view of men i know men are men were created better than that mm -hmm. they were you know men are not simply unable to treat people with respect and dignity they don't need to be taught no. how to not be rapists men are not born sexual offenders yeah and they're it, not it's really problematic and then the other the other issue with constantly telling women that if you don't have sex all the time he's going to watch porn and mary's story isn't particularly about porn we find out later that porn was involved in yeah. greg's life later but like the whole book is really about porn about women using about men using porn and how women can accept that and and help fight against the porn with their husbands part of the issue is that it completely misunderstands the effects of porn 
on a husband's libido and sexual performance. And yeah. so I, I want to read to you um, in our reader question segment, just a few questions that we get in. And these are very typical ones. Mm-hmm. We're not going to try to answer them too much, but I just want to point out some of the stories that, that do come into the blog. So for instance, here's a woman who says, my husband will not stop watching porn and I'm absolutely devastated. I have told him at least two dozen times it is a deal breaker for me. And he keeps promises that it won't happen again, but then it does. Before he met me, it was the only thing he watched, but that ended when I moved in. We married a year later, and he gave all his movies away. We had four years of great marriage until he got his first cell phone, and a friend of his started sending him porn videos on Facebook. I am so sick to my stomach. I have offered to watch porn with him, but he says he finds that very weird and won't have it. I have found that he has friended women on Facebook who run sex chat lines and sends out porn pictures of themselves. He saves those pictures onto his phone as well. Every time I catch him, he brushes it off while I shake and feel nauseous. He wonders why I now have such low self-esteem. Oral sex used to bring him to orgasm. That is no longer happening. He can only reach orgasm by looking at me from behind now. I loved and trusted him so much until six months ago, and now my feelings are all screwed up. Our sex life has been good three to five times a week, but now he is claiming the high blood pressure pills he's on are not allowing him to get erections anymore. Yeah. One of the things I want to mention first is that porn-induced erectile dysfunction is a thing. Yeah, it really is. And porn is one of the leading causes of erectile dysfunction. Porn also kills guys' libidos. It's heavily implicated in delayed ejaculation, which is, you know, she says that he can't maintain an erection or anything unless... He looks at me from behind. Like he can't get excited enough just from sex because intimacy is no longer the gateway into his sexual response cycle the way God made it. This is really common. And so when when books like Sheet Music and when Focus on the Family and when Every Man's Battle, et cetera, say to women, just have more sex, what they don't realize is that we get letters all the time from women who want to have more sex and their husbands can't because they can't maintain an erection anymore or they totally lost their libido for their wives. Yeah, or they've been doing the just have more sex. They've been doing exactly what Every Man's Battle and Every Heart Restored recommends. They've been the merciful vial of methadone for 17 years. And guess what? He's still turning to the hard stuff. Because it's not, you can't defeat porn by just becoming porn for your husband or by just becoming the person on whom he just transfers his lust, which is what Every Man's Battle tells you to do that's that's one of the biggest misconceptions i think when it, when we talk about porn is that you're not able to lust after your wife mm-hmm. lust is wrong in marriage too yeah lust is wrong in marriage too lust is treating someone like an object for your sexual pleasure right like, like merely an object merely an object yeah, yeah exactly like and so you're able to lust after your wife and it is still wrong Mm-hmm. You know, you're now the difference is, you know, sexual attraction being like, you know, really turned on and, and wanting to do sexual things to your wife is not lust. No, that is chaste. Yes, that is love. The difference is when you are trying to get what you can out of her by using her like a receptacle or an object or methadone. Mm-hmm. That's where it actually is lustful sex. It's not loving sex. And that's what every man's battle, that's their prescription and every yeah. man's battle and every, every heart restored. So let me just read you a little bit of this. This is the advice to women in every man's battle. When he goes cold turkey, so what they say is he has to stop lusting and stop watching porn cold turkey. And what he has to do instead is transfer his sexual energy to his wife. Yeah. So he's going to take all that lust and he's going to transfer it to his so, wife. And now. again, so the answer to sin is not to remove the sin is to transfer the sin onto a safe person it's not to understand that sex is about intimacy it's not to explore your intimacy issues it's not to explore you know my attachment issues that might make me go to porn instead of to my wife it's not to do any of that it's just to take my my sexual 
lusts and put them on my wife. Mm-hmm. And they say, when he is when he goes cold turkey and his hunger for you escalates, help him without complaint. He just has a heightened hunger for you. Simply meet it with a caring, respectful softness and willingness until an equilibrium is found. So in essence, be okay with being used for a while so that he can use you less often later on. And then they also say this, this newfound hunger will shock her. She has been accustomed to providing you five bowls a week of sexual gratification, primarily through physical foreplay and sexual intercourse. Things were at an equilibrium. Suddenly you need an extra five bowls from her. For no apparent reason, you come calling for intercourse twice as often. And then they conclude, again, this is vaguely pleasant to her. It's not pleasant to be treated like an object. It's not pleasant to be told, I'm not watching porn anymore, so you're going to have to put out more. It's just disgusting. And that's what I want people to understand, is that just because it happened in a marriage doesn't mean it's not wrong. Yes. You know, this is why we aren't able to name marital rape. This is why we're not able to name lust and objectification in marriage. Because when we only ever talk about healthy sex being sex in marriage and everything else is bad, we don't talk about the nuance within marriage. Mm -hmm. You don't automatically get a green light because you're married. You don't. If you are mistreating, if you are coercing, if you are objectifying, if you are dehumanizing your partner, that is not chaste sex, even if you have a wedding ring. Mm-hmm. It's just not. And this is why books like Every Man's Battle, Every Heart Restored, and Sheet Music get this completely wrong. Because they say, as long as they're having sex with their spouse, it must be okay. And that completely reduces women to sexual objects that can be used badly outside of marriage, but sexual objects that, well, at least the objectification is happening by someone they're committed to. Yeah. It's still objectification and it's still wrong. You are not less of a daughter of God because now you are married. You are not less beloved or less valued. You do not have less bodily autonomy because you have pledged your life to someone. You still matter and you should be respected and dignified. Mm-hmm. And this just shouldn't be acceptable. Okay, a few more things about her question. She does say, I have told him at least two dozen times this is a deal breaker for me. Yeah. Okay. If you, those two things can't go together in a sentence. If it's a deal breaker for you, then you shouldn't be telling them two dozen times because then it's not a deal breaker. And so I would just say, if this truly is a deal breaker for you, then you need to set clear boundaries and you need to say, no, I will not tolerate this. And you need to follow through on that. And you need to follow through. For that, you should probably be seeing a licensed counselor, someone to help you through this process. This is a really difficult one, but please know that a lot of wives have come out on the other side. When they do draw boundaries, when husbands do get some help to understand their intimacy issues, why they're using porn, real help to quit, which is not just transferring their lust onto their wives. Um, We have seen a lot of victory. One more question that illustrates this too. A young woman writes, this is very quick. My husband is an unbeliever addicted to porn. We hardly ever have sex. He is hardly interested. My sexual drive is too high. I beg him so much to please have sex, but he says no. He says he doesn't want to and he'll approach me when he wants it. When he does, it's over in two minutes. What do I do? Okay, again, can you see how the advice to just be his methadone so that he doesn't watch porn is not going to help this woman? And it's not only unhelpful, it's also offensive. Yeah. It's just offensive. When you're in that kind of situation where the only advice given to you from the Christian circles is just have sex more. And you're like, well, that's not the problem here. Yeah. The problem is that he has made a sexless marriage through selfishness. Yes. And he's completely divorced sex from intimacy. 
I am going to bring on Michael John Cusick onto our uh, podcast now to answer some questions for us. And I first met Michael on Twitter. We interacted on a lot of the things that I was saying about every man's battle. And I really liked his perspective and I got to know him a little bit better and invited him on. Michael, do you want to just tell our listeners who you are and what you do? Sure. I uh, live in uh, outside of Denver, Colorado, and I run a ministry that I founded about 20 years ago called Restoring the Soul. We mostly do intensive counseling with Christian leaders. I'm also known for having written a book called Surfing for God, Discovering the Divine Desire Beneath Sexual Struggle. And that emerged out of uh, a blend of three elements of my life. First, I was a full-blown sex addict up until 1994. That resulted from a lot of childhood abuse, exposure to porn at the age of four, uh, and learning very, very young how to lead a double life. I became a psychotherapist and experienced healing right around the same time that I became licensed and um, started this ministry 20 years ago. But the writing that I do is really a blend of my own journey and what I've discovered about how God heals hearts and releases men from lust and people from trauma, but also a spiritual formation path so that our hearts can taste something that is better than pornography and lust. I say that the question that the church is not asking is what is better than porn? And very few people can answer that beyond the Sunday school answer of Jesus. But how is it better than porn? And how do we begin to live that out? Yeah, and I also find that often in the evangelical um, conversation about porn, the answer is just to white knuckle it you know, to try harder, to not watch it. But what you're really talking about is we need to go far deeper than that and see much more of a transformation, much more growth. Like it's, it, it's not just willpower, it's actually growth and letting Jesus really do some deep work of healing. So on that note, I have a question that I am going to put to you. It's a little bit of a long one, but I am going to read it and then I'm going to throw it back to you to see what you think. So this is from a woman who asks, how do you heal from your husband's porn use when there was really no reason for it? And she explains that they both grew up in Christian homes. When they were dating, her husband confessed that he had been into porn starting at 17, but that it had stopped and he seemed to be truly remorseful. They got married. It seemed like he was fine, but two years into marriage, his sex drive was starting to decrease. And she writes, I thought it was me. I had gained a little weight. I also knew that he was the only man I had ever been with. So everything I knew about sex, we had learned together. I was afraid perhaps I wasn't very good at it. And he just didn't want to hurt me by saying so. So of course I tried to be sexier and that didn't really help much. Suddenly I started wondering if he was watching porn again. So I looked at his iPad and sure enough, he had been. I immediately confronted him. We did talk about it. And to his credit, he was very honest and answered my questions. He had gotten back into it before we had married. He would try to quit on his own and he would do fine for a few months. And then he'd always be drawn back into it. He assured me it had nothing to do with me. He still wants me. He still thinks I'm beautiful. He still loves me and our marriage, but he said he did it because it was easy. And this is what is still crushing to me. It's been about 11 months since that first confrontation, and this is what I can't get over. He is doing well, and he's trying to stay away from it, but I can't seem to heal. 
in the resources I have read, there always is a reason that a man gets into porn. His wife is refusing sex. They have issues. There's financial stress, feelings of worthlessness, feeling like he can't live up to expectations, that he was exposed by accident when he was a child. But none of these were the case. We were close. He says he was happy. He wasn't under emotional or financial stress. I initiated sex. I tried to look nice for him. I never refused. We were both careful and gentle with each other when it came to disagreements. And he said it himself, he did it because it was easier than being intimate with me. It still hurts me as much today as it did the day I found out. He is very gentle and kind and understanding, but how do I forgive and truly heal when it seems like it was something so lightweight that caused him to get back into it? Wow. Yeah, wow. So there's, there's probably 20 questions in there, and I can respond to that generally speaking, but what's the question that you would most want listeners to have an answer to out of that, Sheila? Well, I guess there's two. One is the obvious, what, where do we go from here? Like, what should she be asking him to do? And what does healing look like? But I think the other thing is, I, I think a lot of women are likely in her shoes thinking there really wasn't a reason. Like, why is it easier to turn to porn than me? Why do guys do this? When I'm here, I'm readily available. I want sex. I'm not turning him down. Why is porn easier and why would he choose that? Yeah, well, first of all, I'll begin by just saying I'm so sorry for this person because I know this is a real letter and this does represent so many women's stories. It represents my wife's story where in addition to pornography, I was a, a full-blown sex addict before the internet really exploded and porn was so available. It's heartbreaking and it's traumatizing that even what she described, how do I heal? is that in this process of knowing him from before marriage and then 11 months since this has unfolded, the statement that it still hurts as much and it's still as real now as when I first found out, when things don't go away, when the sting is sustained, when that reaction emotionally and in the embodied way in our, in our physiology, when that is sustained or remains at a level that's really distressing. That's an indicator that there's something bigger going on inside of our body. And there's research from Dr. Omar Minwala at Berkeley that has demonstrated that for a woman who discovers or it's disclosed to her that there has been infidelity, including with pornography, that a woman can manifest all the same signs as if she had been sexually assaulted. The reoccurrence, the reintrusion of memories being flooded with certain kinds of feelings. And you and your listeners may know of this idea of betrayal trauma. And so that's on one end of the continuum where people see that there's a woman will see there's very real trauma and I'm not doing well with this. And she's often blamed for not trusting God for not being there for her husband. And then way on the other end is there's no validation of the hurt and pain and told to just kind of mm -hmm. forgive and forget. So this pain is very real and it's a very complex situation because they have tried to do a lot of things. They are talking about it. But I hear a theme throughout this question and the story of minimizing at different points. And one of the things that surprised me early on is I started working with couples and my wife specializes in working with uh, betrayed spouses is the extent to which women would minimize the impact of their husband's sexual sin and with pornography. And this has gotten more pronounced the longer we go on in a pornified culture. So I find that younger wives of a younger generation will often say, well, everybody does it. 
and it's not all the time and he's trying not to do it and he knows and that kind of thing. So it's important not to minimize. And I think the place where my heart winced the most on her behalf and for her was at the end of saying, how do I forgive and truly heal when it was something so lightweight that caused him to do it? And I understand mm-hmm. she's not saying that the sin is lightweight, but that there's something lightweight mm-hmm. that caused it. And I would say that if Jesus, who through the prophet Isaiah and Isaiah 61 said that I've come to bind up the broken heart and set captives free, a broken heart is a broken heart is a broken heart. And you don't need to have lifelong complex trauma to have a broken heart. And so addiction, compulsion, and habitual sin are always about a hole in our heart. And she went through the list of things that were there that he wasn't exposed at a really early age and that they have a good relationship. Mm -hmm. But any decent counselor, including one who is biblically informed, will tell you that um, pornography is really an intimacy issue. It's an intimacy disorder. It's an attachment disorder. And there are many men Mm -hmm. that are extroverted, that are relational, that may even have a connection to their feelings, but that ability to be vulnerable and to bring their whole heart into the marriage is something that gets formed early on in life. So I would say that one way of framing this is that there's an intimacy disorder or issue that this man has that keeps him going back to this. And that somehow, despite the invitation for closeness, intimacy, a dynamic sex life, that he's not able to engage in that. Now, that's something that I think is missing from a lot of the conversation around porn, because that's what I've seen, too, as I've talked to so many women and as as I've done a lot of research into this, is that so often it does come back to those attachment issues and those intimacy issues and how often the porn user, normally it's a man, but it could also be a woman as well, you know, is running away from intimacy. And so in that case, just simply telling them, stop using porn (laughs) and try harder is not really going to cure the problem because they haven't dealt with the underlying root cause. And that's where you need that transformation and that growth. Right. Yeah. And I would add the word healing and rest restoration. So Mm -hmm. when the average man hears the word growth, they think, well, I need to be more faithful with my Bible reading and pray more and maybe get an accountability (laughs) partner and, and growth will happen, but growth doesn't lead to healing. People can have knowledge of the Bible and they can be involved in ministry and be wonderful Christians. And if there's still brokenness in their heart that's unexamined, unaddressed, and unhealed, that pain that has been done to them will be passed on. So you've heard the phrase that pain that's not transformed will be transmitted. And that's what's going on with pornography. And then the dominoes fall one after the other after the other, and it goes on generationally. So that healing is having a language for the soul and the heart and how we are broken and what it means to be a human being made in God's image and what it means to be a human being who Jesus doesn't just save us dying on the cross. Jesus bore our infirmities and our diseases, Isaiah 53 talks about, and that his first sermon was to bind up broken hearts and to set people free in ways that they're captive. So we really need, as Dallas Willard said, we, we need a gospel that goes beyond the gospel of sin management. Quick story, and I'll be very brief about this. Oh, I like that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You got to say that again. That was really good. (laughs) We need a gospel that goes beyond. Sin management. Uh, Dallas Willard in his book, Divine Conspiracy, talked about the gospel of sin management. And he said that most people 
see the gospel as Jesus died for my sins. I ask him into my life. I'm saved. And then I try to be a good person until I go to heaven. And that's like one third of one third of the gospel, as opposed to that it's about transformation and restoration and that I'm made whole so that then my cup overflows into the world and the kingdom comes. I was invited along with 59 other people back in 2009 to a conference Dallas Willard did. He was a philosopher at the University of Southern California for only for over 40 years before he died. And he was speaking about the kingdom of God at this conference and all these bright thinkers and writers. And before he started, he almost sheepishly in his 70s stood up and he said, I've written a paper on pornography with all of my writing and stuff. And he said, this has become such an issue that we need to address it. And I'd ask you to read this paper and let's talk about it. And he said, if what we're talking about at this conference about the kingdom of God and the transformation of the gospel, if it can't address the issue of pornography, let's close our notebooks and go home right now. Mm. And he went on to say that most Christians are caught between ceaseless striving to be good on the one hand and then just indulging their brokenness on the other. But that the gospel of Jesus, this restorative process that we're deeply loved, that we can get our deepest needs met in relationship to him, that that's this third way that we're actually free. And I think another little soapbox of mine is that the church has been focused on how do we get men to stop sinning, i.e. sobriety. And another thing that I heard in this question in the letter was, what do I do to help him and what do I do to heal? And the goal is not sobriety or stopping the behavior. That's the doorway. The goal is freedom. And there's a Mm -hmm. massive difference between sobriety and freedom. Freedom in the Bible is always not the ability to do whatever we want to do. It's the ability to do what we most deeply want to do and what we're created to do. And therefore, freedom is once you stop a, a destructive behavior to move into a way of being and living and loving that looks like intimacy and it looks like the connectedness and the oneness of the Trinity. That's really what freedom is. And and we are satisfied with just not sinning. I would say that for this woman, how do I heal that it's actually healing? Just as if she cut herself with a kitchen knife and it went through her tendon, it wouldn't be enough to put a Band-Aid on it. She would actually need to go to the emergency room. And my wife has done this twice with a knife. And they actually have to call in a hand specialist who all they do is operate on hands. And I would say that it's important to have a counselor, a therapist, a pastoral caregiver who really understands issues of honoring women and not blaming them for their husband's sexual sin, not putting the responsibility on her to either heal herself or to be sexy enough or compelling enough Mm -hmm. to get him to stop. Mm -hmm. And then finally, to engage in a process of trust only as trust has been earned, because she's wanting to trust, but there's still not an engagement with him with the deeper issues. Jesus, if anything, came to help us get to the root of issues and not just pluck the fruit from the tree and then throw it away. But when you deal with the root of the issue, then the problematic fruit will go away. I love that so much. Thank you. That is that is what people need to hear so often, I would say probably the vast majority, like maybe 90% of the letters that I get from women whose husbands have used porn, all they have done is put covenant eyes on the computer and they're just trying not to watch it. And that is not the point. 
you know, covenant eyes can be a tool if you need it, but that's not the healing. That's, that's not even, it's barely the start, you know, <laughs> what you need to do is, is, is really get into this healing and this transformation. And I really appreciate that perspective. So thank you. <laughs> can you tell, um, You're so tell welcome. people where they can find you again, if they want to read more uh, about your story, about, about your perspective on sexual sin? Sure. Our website is restoringthesoul.com. Uh, my book can be found on Amazon and all the other main booksellers. It's uh, paper, digital, and audio. I have a podcast called Restoring the Soul, and we have a couple hundred podcasts on sexuality and pornography and my story and my wife's story. And we, we help couples heal. And I, I teach at a seminary and around the world on these issues of spiritual formation, soul care, and sexuality. Well, that's so wonderful. We are going to put links to all of that in the podcast description so that you can find Michael's podcast, Michael's website, and his book. So you can go click there. This, this is an amazing resource. This talks about sex in such a great way and sexual sin in such a great way. So we appreciate you coming on and thank you so much. I hope we can have you on again sometime. <laughs> My pleasure. I hope so too. And congratulations on your book. Thank you. Yes. And this is such a better way of looking at it than every man's battle. So <laughs> we appreciate that. All right. The good news is there are people who are doing this better. And this is why we want to encourage you throughout this whole debunking series. The debunking series is not just about, you know, yelling about what people have done wrong. Mm -hmm. We want to encourage you to just be empowered to use your discernment because there are people who are doing this really, really well. There are books out there that are really good. There are counselors who know how to deal with sexual addictions and they don't use the Every Man's Battle books. So we've been talking a lot about Andrew Bauman. We love his stuff. Mm -hmm. A Sexually Healthy Man, a great book about getting over porn. Michael John Cusick has a wonderful book called Surfing for God, Discovering the Divine Desire Beneath Sexual Struggle, where he helps unpack why our sexual struggles and why our sex drive can be co-opted by porn and what's mm -hmm. the underlying issue and let's heal that let's really heal and transform great books so we're going to yeah. put links to those in the podcast description but we just want to encourage you you know michael's book and andrew's book should be more popular than every man's battle they really should because they're actually real they keep jesus at the front and they work like and what they're saying works the for real recovery. Yeah, and the solution is not simply transfer your sin onto a safer object. So we just want to say, if you are reading a book and it rubs you the wrong way, often our response, if it's a Christian book, especially if it's a Christian bestseller, is to assume the problem is with us. Mm -hmm. We want to encourage you not to assume that. We want to encourage you that you have the right and the discernment from Jesus and the Holy Spirit inside you that when you are reading something which doesn't sound right, that you can say, that's just not good yeah. and put it down, throw it away, trash it, whatever, and leave it. Just as another example, to mm -hmm. put the final nail in the coffin, we want to read to you an anecdote that's at the very beginning of Every Man's Battle. This sets up the entire book. My eyes locked onto this goddess-like blonde, rivulets of sweat cascading down her tanned body as she ran at a pur purposeful pace. Her jogging outfit, if it could be called that in those days before sports bras and spandex, was actually a skimpy bikini. As she approached on my left, two tiny triangles of tie-dyed fabric struggled to contain her ample bosom. I can't tell you what her face looked like. Nothing above the neckline registered with me that morning. My eyes feasted on this banquet of glistening flesh as she passed on my left, and they continued to follow her lithe figure as she continued jogging southbound. Simply by lustful instinct, as if mesmerized by her gait, I turned my head further and further, craning my neck to capture every possible moment for my mental video camera. And then he hits another car.
Yeah. Now, and I want you to show show on YouTube what this is what I wrote in the margin when I read this. Why is this necessary? Are you insane? <laughs> like, this is supposed to be a book which helps guys get over lust, and that sounds pornographic to me. It is. It's it's like it's what it's doing is it's not saying, you know. I've had a lot of embarrassing situations because of my struggle with sexual sin. In fact, I even rear-ended a guy because I couldn't keep my eyes off of a jogger once. That's all they needed to say. And that would be fine. But instead, they were like, let me paint you a sensual picture that you can enter into and enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) Like That's what they do instead. It's so creepy. And there's a lot of that in this book. And so our question is, how did this book sell 3 million copies? And I think it's because we don't ask ourselves, how would I feel if I heard my son my husband, my dad, my brother, how would I feel if they were talking about a woman that way? Mm-hmm. You know, we give authors and we give cr- people who have the approved Christian stamp, we give them the benefit of the doubt all of the time when they haven't earned it. If mm-hmm. you were raising a teenage boy and you heard him and his buddies all talking about a girl from their class that way, would you be like, man, I raised a man of honor? No, you wouldn't. <laughs> you would be mortified. Yep. You'll be making him write an apology letter to like every girl he's ever talked to. Right. You know? And so that's what we need to be asking ourselves is are the examples, are the hearts of the people who are writing these books, are what they're speaking about, are what they're presenting as normal, are they something that we need to accept as normal? And I don't think they are. And no. so we want to invite you to be part of this process with us. Join the Great Sex Rescue pre-launch team. If you pre-order your book, you're going to get an invite to our special Facebook group if you send in your receipt. Again, the link for that is in the podcast description that goes along with this. And we would just love to have you on our Facebook group to encourage us to ask questions. It'll help you spread the word. We need people to write reviews because I'm sure everyone who wrote Everyman's Battle is going to hate us after this. <laughs> so, so we need to counteract that and have people say, yes, we need this information out there. So please pre-order The Great Sex Rescue. It honestly is an amazing book. Um, I received an email this week from someone who did pre-order the book. She's actually recently divorced, but she says that she's been reading and listening to our stuff to help her overcome a lot of the unhelpful teaching so that she can get healthier herself, which is wonderful. And she said that she finds a lot of this stuff really heavy and she was hoping that we could share some victory stories. Yes. And trust me, you're not alone in finding this very heavy. (laughs) We find it so heavy as well. And I I just thought that was a wonderful idea. Yeah. And so we thought that at the end of every um, podcast, we would read to you a victory story. And the first victory story that we had is actually in our book. So this was an awesome comment that was left on the blog a while ago by a guy, and we put it in our book because we loved it so much. But here we go. He says, as someone who grew up in the every man's battle purity movement era, I've been working on resetting my brain for a few years now. So many years of struggling daily just to avoid looking. The Bible says his burden is easy and his yoke is light, but spending every part of every day spending energy to make sure I didn't look at an attractive woman is the opposite of easy and light. I was forced to confront my wrong thinking while on a vacation in Europe. The first on a topless beach in Spain was excruciating. I was giving myself a migraine, constantly bouncing my eyes, but having nowhere to bounce them to. I was definitely not enjoying the beautiful beach, nor enjoying time with my beautiful wife. Near the end of the first day, I realized this was no way to live. I remembered your writing about focusing on the whole person without making them into a sexual object. I talked to my wife and explained all of this to her. With some fear and apprehension, I looked at a beach full of breasts and started to talk through the process of not making them there for my sexual gratification. The rest of the trip was so relaxing and enjoyable, and I had such a good time with my wife on the beach. Since then, I can see an attractive woman and not become aroused. See, that's what a real guy is. He doesn't believe all this crap. 
from every man's battle. And we can get over this church. We can get over this just by exercising discernment and saying that we want to see guys who look like Jesus, not guys who justify being lustful and selfish. And women, you are not objects. You are not methadone. You are made in the image of God. You are valuable to him and you should be valuable to your husband too. And if you're not, please seek help because that isn't okay. So join us again next week on our Bear Marriage Podcast. We're going to be talking more about some teachings that we are going to debunk to bring us back to healthy sexuality with Jesus at the center. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much.